The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Very happy to be here at the NERA conference in Falmouth, Massachusetts, as we're releasing episode 22 of the podcast with the CHRO of Biogen, Ginger Gregory. Ginger's always been a student of human behavior and organizational psychology, and she discusses how she applies that learning to her role as CHRO at Biogen, one of the largest biotechs in the world. Ginger's expertise comes through in this discussion, and she gives some great examples about how HR theory is applied in a very pragmatic and accessible way for employees. Ginger also shares how she's working on some interesting things with some other HR leaders in biotech and tech and higher learning institutions to develop a talent ecosystem for the region. In fact, one of our earlier guests is in collaboration with Ginger on this project. That's Andy Porter at the Broad Institute, and he's on the board here of NERA. Next up on the podcast is the CHRO of Keurig Dr. Pepper, Meg Newman. And now I bring you my discussion with Ginger Gregory. Ginger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited. It's good to have you. Thank you. Maybe you could share a little bit about your background for our listeners. Yeah, you bet. So I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is a bit unusual for people from Massachusetts. Um, you know, mostly I have, you know, one out of 10 people that I even mentioned that to has even been there. I haven't um, been there. Well, it's the best. It's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. But I came east for college and never never went back, really. I mean, I, I visit and stuff. But, but I grew up in New Mexico, which was really impactful for me because I was a racial minority, basically, as a kid. And it was really interesting and helped me to really learn kind of how to get along with all different kinds of people and how to appreciate culture and um, had a really you know huge influence on kind of the way I think about people, the way I think about uh, diverse teams. It was really very, very beneficial. And I loved culture and I love company culture, like national cultures, all these things, which has, has been kind of a theme in my And your roots in New Mexico kind yeah. of mm-hmm. triggered that. Yeah, New Mexico is a thinking. very interesting state because it was, you know, there were a lot of Native Americans, there still are, but the Spanish came in and, you know, basically took it over, you know, well before the U.S. was founded. And so it's got this very interesting kind of um, Spanish and Hispanic kind of roots. Mm. It's really cool. And what made you think to come to Massachusetts first? Well, when you're like 17, I was very logical and like thought through everything and read every single book and knew exactly what I wanted to do. So it was random. Mm-hmm. And I knew somebody else who was in school in Massachusetts. And I said, yeah, whatever. And I ended up in... <laughs> I want. To, I actually transferred to UMass, and I wanted a school that was big and diverse. And I had this notion of being in college, and you were, you know, going to protests, and you're involved, and you're getting involved in things. And the first school I went to wasn't like that at all. We won't need to mention the name of that. And then I, so I transferred to UMass, and it was great. I mean, great education, huge. I, you know, had great professors. Yeah, I could be a little bit anonymous in some places and not in other places. So it's right. really, really good experience. Yeah. Well, I think transferring there actually is, is fine because then by then you're a little bit like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm supposed to be in college. I know how this works. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Yep. 
Now, you're, um, you went on to, before you got into biotech or life sciences, you were in management consulting. Something drew I you was, to that. Yeah. So I um, studied psychology as an undergrad um, because the logic there was, you know, I was studying business originally and I called my sister on a landline, my older sister, and said, like, I don't know, this business stuff seems really basic. And she said, well, what class do you like? And I said, well, I like psychology. And she says, well, then major in that. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so I... <laughs> One class or two classes, and I liked it, and I studied it. And, you know, I studied psychology because I'm, I'm just fascinated with human behavior, mm-hmm. you know, at individual, team, organizational levels, and ended up studying industrial organizational psychology in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And from that was recruited at the, you know, PSYOP conference, which is the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychologists, and was recruited to this little teeny consulting firm um, in Chicago, and I did, you know, my job was to do executive assessments. And so here you are in HR, yeah. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what HR was. I kind of was learning it because a lot, lots of times the HR people were the ones who were engaging us in terms of coming to do this project. But that job in consulting and that, that early job that I had was phenomenal because basically I got to interview hundreds of executives and people in different, you know, different functions, different industries. Mm. And, you know, my job was to try and figure out, okay, what is, you know, makes this person tick and what are they good at? What are they not good at? And are they going to be a good fit for this job that they're, uh, you know, looking at them for? And in addition, it was a great job because the way they had the whole uh, firm and salary structure set up was after the first six months, Basically, there was no cap on the bonus I could make. So it incentivized me to figure out, all right, how do I, all right, I've done these three assessments. <laughs> how can I do 100? No, no, no. How can I say, all right, let's bring these people together and talk about the team? Oh, and let's oh, think oh of, expand yeah. the project, the scope. Yes, uh, yeah. Yes. And also yeah. the projects were small, and I was you know, typically either doing it by myself or with one or two other consultants. And short, so we could try things, and you know, I you know try and listen and figure out okay, what the, what's the problem here, and then go do a little research, and then come back and say, okay, here's what we're going to do, and I try it, and oftentimes it completely bombed. <laughs> But that client didn't know the client I was talking to the next day, so I was learning very rapidly. Like, okay, well, that didn't work. But the next time, you were I'm practicing gonna, yeah, lots I, of I companies. Was practicing. It was really so. By the time you get to Biogen, yeah. you get it all figured out. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Biogen. What an exciting yeah. organization! And did you come here as the leader of HR with a particular mission? Was there some well, something you were called yeah, to do? So I was. So the CEO um, had been in place probably about six months and was looking for somebody in HR to, uh, you know, some of the things were sort of basic, like fix the operations because, you know, Biogen is at a, in a new chapter. They had spun out the hemophilia business before mm-hmm. I got here. The focus now is completely on neuroscience, right. which is like the new oncology. Mm-hmm. All the progress we've seen in oncology, the next space for that is in neuroscience. Right. And so what we needed to do is think about, all right, how do we kind of fix the operation and become more efficient so that we can invest in business development and invest in commercial capabilities and some other areas? And part of that was through my, my, so my remit was, you know, get the shop in order in terms of HR, make sure you have the right number of people doing the right number of things, you know, all that kind of, you know, build the shared service organization and make sure we're using Workday, using the tools Mm -hmm. and so that we then can deploy the HR partners, if you will, to be really strategic business partners to the line leaders. Okay, great. And you're talking about the neuroscience. So that's focused on 
MS, of course, yep. is one of the, mm-hmm. we have a lot of history with the therapies well, so in MS. So MS, is, it continues to be a very important franchise for us, and we will continue to you know, do research and, and try and progress the field of MS, but we're very excited about our Alzheimer's assets and product. It, you know, it's hard. Neuroscience is, but you know, that's what people said about all kinds of things that we've progressed. So neuroscience is challenging, it's very hard, but at the same time, we're making really great progress. It's really cool. That's exciting stuff. It must be very interesting working for an organization that's so mission-driven. You've done this a lot of your career. How does that impact what you do in HR, the fact that you're focused on saving people's lives or improving people's lives so dramatically? It's interesting because I think that, you know, HR is HR in many ways, and we can get wrapped up in silly stuff. And it is really helpful to work in a company where, you know, you can bring the patient, like, okay, or we're debating some ridiculous discussion about whether we should pay somebody this or that. Like, the real issue here is, you know, what, look, let's remember we're here for these, the babies that need, that need Spinraza, or we're here for people who really were changing their lives with our MS products. Right. And so it helps to be able to have people take a step back and get real about, you know, whatever the business issue of the day is, um, to be able to remind people like, wait a minute, we're here for the patients. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stop being silly and I'm going to stop being kind of, you know, petty in my, whatever the argument is at the moment. Mm -hmm. I know culture is something that you're very focused mm-hmm. on. You talked about that already a little bit. Um, what have you been embarking on with regard to culture? Where's Biogen's culture? How would you describe how it's been? What are you hoping yep. the culture will be someday? Biogen is, you know, it was founded as a biotech, so that means it's, you know, it was founded based on research and science. And, you know, many, most biopharmaceutical companies are. However, we're not that old, right? So we are one of the, you know, big freestanding, only freestanding biotech companies. You know, that has drawn, you know, it has influenced the culture forever, if you will, at Biogen, because, you know, we want to do innovative, kind of groundbreaking science. And so we, you know, want to be the, the first ones. We want to be, you know, out there and innovating. So when I got here, I got here the same day as another colleague, and we were uh, basically exploring, okay, what is the culture? Like, what do we say the culture is, and what are we really, you know, what's really going on around here? Mm-hmm. And um, what we found was that kind of over time, there were all these different models of what we expected of people in terms of leadership behaviors and, you know, core values and behaviors, and there were some, you know, leadership principles, and it was kind of fuzzy, right? And so we didn't really actually have a... a uh, stake in the ground in terms of this is what we really believe as a leadership team. So we embarked on a project actually last in 2017 to sit down the executive committee who were for the you know most part some new people and a few people who had been here for a very long time. And so all right, what do we really believe in? What's really important to us in terms of you know not just what we're achieving, but how we want people to act and, and behave with one another. And we, so we came up with the, the six biogen elements, which, hmm. and you know, the, I won't necessarily go through all of them, but it, and what we did was say, we want to be pioneers. And pioneers is a very important word for us because we want to go places that no one else has gone in, in relation to neuroscience. Uh, but things like, you know, accountability, that we really need to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable, that we set, you know, set plans and we achieve what we said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, inclusive was a very important, it's one of our elements, that we want to be respectful and make sure that we are inclusive and, um, you know, understand the kind of differences and who, what different people are bringing to the table. And so we, we codified, if you will, the six biogen elements, and mm-hmm. we did it in a, in a kind of scientific, fun way, like the periodic table of elements. Ah. And they had some contests. And in addition to 
codifying those based on what the, the current new leadership believed in, we also said, okay, all these other models, gone. They are deleted. All we're the no things longer, that happened before. Yeah, all those other models like the leadership behaviors and the competencies and you know core values. It's behavior. a clean slate. Yeah, clean slate. The, they were very valuable at a certain point in time, but now they're gone, and these are the things that we care about. Mm. And then we have... Uh, yeah, but it's only been a year, so it's not. I wouldn't say it's a revolution uh, by any means. But nonetheless, that's who we are recruiting. We're looking. You know, we have interview guides. Mm-hmm. You know, does this person show inclusive behaviors? Uh, we have then put that into how we onboard new employees. We put that into how we're measuring people's performance on an ongoing basis. We have special awards related to those. The people um, that, that get promoted. Who yeah, have exactly. Embody so, those. So we've really tr- we've yeah. embedded the or. Are, are embedding those elements across all of our people, if you will, people systems. Right. And how do you do it across such a large geography and with all these different locations across the country and across the world? How do you make sure that it's consistent? I imagine it takes well, a long time to get it, it there. It's very interesting that you asked that because I, of course, said, okay, let's do it. And then, yes, okay, we're going. And it took off. It took off like wildfire. Hmm. So there was some need in the organization that people really, it was very, I mean, first of all, it's compelling. The the words, the behaviors, the way we d- describe it is really compelling. I think it fits with our new strategy. And I think that people were confused and they didn't have anything before or they had too many things. Mm. And also, I will say that the the brand of it with the elements looking like the uh, you know the periodic table. It resonated. People, yeah. They loved it. So I, I was in Japan a few weeks ago and they have chocolates with the elements on it. <laughs> They've got special you know rewards. And so it really has just... You know, we, we obviously are managing it through a, an actual project of, you know, the, the Biogen Elements Project team, if you mm-hmm. will, that's managed out of HR. But at the same time, it just kind of, people loved it so much that they just took it among them, upon themselves and just took off with it. What, what else, what have you started to see? Are there any examples of behaviors or something that's happened in the business that may not have happened? Without that, is there anything that's bubbled yeah. up that you could say, well, oh, this is Yeah, I mean, there are, no, there are a number of things, okay. but the uh, one thing that we've been really focused on in, in recently is making sure that people are working horizontally. Because despite the fact that we're not that big a company, um, there was a lot of kind of siloed thinking and approach. And For a biotech, you're giant, yeah. but in the world yeah. of corporate America, no, 7,300 employees yeah, yeah, not is not big. gigantic. Yeah. Right. And so that was actually a little surprising to me when I first got here, is that, that people were a little bit overly siloed. And I would say that, that in terms of the elements and the inclusive and being you know, organized and ethical, you know, it has really driven people to you know, think much more horizontally and form teams that are much more, you know, not just within HR, not just within one part of HR, but you know, think about how do we bring people from the business and you know, various kinds of functions together on teams. Mm. With so many scientific people in your organization, and you being somebody that started their career in looking at executives and what competencies and skills they need to be successful. Scientific people sometimes, I think, get a bad rap for their executive leadership skills, but sometimes they don't want it either. Sometimes they really want to stay in the science. Can you talk a little bit about developing scientific people to be leaders and what the challenges and opportunities are and how do you think about that inside of Yeah, I mean, I've spent, I've spent a lot of time with scientific people within this industry, and they're amazing, right? They're incredibly bright and smart, but typically they'll have, you know, hyper-specialized um, at some early point in their education and career. Mm. And what I have found is as long as you actually talk about the real thing rather than jargon, 
they're actually very receptive and open to it, and they want to learn. Uh, and because they, you know, are, have been so specialized that they haven't really, you know, read management books and they haven't done all these things. You know, when I've worked in other industries or with, um, you know, other clients, some people think they're an expert at management because they've done management, and that's fair. And they, you know, they have much more experience. But within the scientific community, sometimes they don't pretend to be an expert, even though if they and they're open to learning huh. about it. But you need to talk about it in a kind of a real way rather than jargon. How do you think about high potential? And I think I've seen you speak on this many really? years ago. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think we'll you're see talking if I'm, I'm the same hypos. or not. <laughs> and I'm just curious what you think about measuring potential. Is it can you do it? And how do you do it? Well, I'm in the camp, which many people are, of I don't like measuring potential of can they go three levels in two years or one level in one year or whatever, because it's that gets back to what is a level and do we really care about that and hierarchy. And so I've moved into the, you know, can this person learn? And so I really like learning agility and thinking about, you know, is this person adaptable? You know, are they mentally agile? Can they think about different things? Can they learn? And, you know, it's interesting because I've had, you know, lots of different experiences and I even find myself thinking, well, I've been here and done this exact thing before. And then I have to check myself and say, no, no, wait, there's something a little bit different here that I can learn from. Uh-huh. You know, these people from came from a different company that I've never worked with those people from that company. Or, you know, it's a slightly different history. And, and you've got to really, so I look for that when I think about high potentials is not that I'm high potential, but, you know, are they really, you know, thinking and constantly learning and mm. constantly growing. And so I like thinking about learning agility much more than just, you know, can they move a few levels or whatever. In fact, the last time I saw you, Ginger, was, I think it was, Last November, and it was at the Broad Institute when Andy oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Porter and Floor from Spencer mm-hmm. Stewart put on a um, event. You were a panelist, actually, and it was about the ecosystem, mm-hmm. the talent ecosystem in this region. Yep. And how can we share talent? And I, I just have, a, I guess, a general question about being in the heart of Kemble Square, where it is a lot of people say the real estate in this area because of lab space and commercial space is probably the hottest in the country, or close to it, for yep, sure. Yep. And we see all the cranes here and, and in Boston, too. What's it like fighting for talent in this space? Uh, you have that big brand. It must be That must be helpful. But you just talk a little bit about the talent, the ecosystem of what you're seeing in life sciences and technology in general in this region and where, where you think the challenges and opportunities might lie. So we've progressed some of that thinking. We're actually having legitimate meetings talking about how can we figure out how to brand ourselves in you know, Boston and Cambridge mm. as a place that people want to not just study at these great universities that we have, but actually stay mm. and don't go away. Don't go to the West Coast. Don't go to those places. <laughs> and we're talking about, you know, what are the different kinds of programs that we can have that maybe, and, and you know, it's still early days. It's right. a little bit beyond what we had in November where we have had a couple meetings about it. But, you know, really we is there an opportunity for us to hire new graduates, maybe postdocs, and say, okay, you're six months in a biotech company, six months at a Broad Institute, maybe some period of time at a, you know, at one of the academic companies. Yeah, right, so right. Like almost a management rotational program yes, amongst yeah. the organizations yes. that are here. Yes, which I think is very, could be very powerful. Mm. That being said, it is still a competitive environment, right? Right. So, we have to work through some of the, you know, who's paying for what and whose employee <laughs> are they and it, and what about IP and all different things. So yeah. there's some co- complexities to it. But the talent environment in general here is, you know, it's interesting. It's hard 
right? I mean, there are a lot. We do have a strong brand. We have lots yeah. of people who want to come work here, but at sure. the same time, you know, we have we have a lot of people who are leaving, who are going to you know the competitors or the smaller companies. There's hundreds of them right in your backyard here, and, right? And I I think I said in November what I at least one thing that I believe in is that we have to say like, okay, go ahead, go try that, but if you want to come back, come back. <laughs> and we've had a number of people who have rebounded back to Biogen after having some experience in another small right. or different kind of company because in many ways we can't give them that experience necessarily here so great go go ahead go do that and then you're welcome to come back right um, and i think that being more treat them as alumni not deserters right yeah, you're always welcome absolutely. part of the family and so Biogen figuring out family. how that we you know maybe even monitor where are all the alumni and let's stay in touch That's with right. them and be, you know have them as one of our pools of talent protect sort of that relationship mm-hmm. right they can even um refer candidates even though they might not of be course. here right yeah. so there's all that protect that relationship that's great stuff i'm really excited to see what you guys accomplish well i think now's the time for our nira question of the podcast keystone we produce this podcast in cooperation with the northeast human resources association and they have a young professional group called nira yp and this question comes from danny rose he's a senior manager hr business partner at Bygene, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, so I'll spell it. It's B-E-I-G, capital G-E-N-E. So as a young HR professional, it can be tricky offering business solutions and providing coaching to more experienced leaders and executives. What advice do you have towards quickly establishing trust and demonstrating credibility so that his guidance is well-received by those executives? Good question. That's a very good question. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I think the key piece is to listen, right, and and not jump to, you must, you know, not jump to telling people what to do. Like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. But to the extent possible, listen. And I've never been a big believer in asking others what they think HR should do. Rather, ask them, you know, what are they doing and what are their problems and what are their challenges and, you know, what's going well. And then going back and thinking, kind of with a, with HR, with others, as and then coming back and saying, okay, I heard that this is what we're trying to do. Here's our strategy. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do to help from an HR point of view. Because I think that if you ask other if you ask other people what should HR do, they may or may not have the right answer. Mm. And especially depending upon their background and their mm. experience. So I think maybe that first piece is listen and then go back and think and maybe do a little bit of research. Mm. That's great. Great advice. When you see people either working for you now or people that have worked for you in the past, that you say, okay, I can see they're really excelling. They're gonna, they have great things in store for them as an HR professional. What kind of characteristics, behaviors are you seeing in those up-and-coming HR leaders that you've been exposed to over the years that you're like, hmm, that's, that's what I'm looking for on my team. That's what I can see that person going to the top of this function. Well, to me, it's the, you know, they're smart they're energetic, they're positive, they are willing to challenge. That's a very important characteristic for HR people, which is not just being a ticket taker and doing everything that the client is asking you to do, but saying, hmm, okay, that's interesting, but maybe, have you thought about this? Or I think we ought, you know. Or this them, might have a con- yeah, the wrong effect. Exactly. This might, right, right. But being you know, willing, assertive, and being willing to kind of stand up for yeah. what their experience and background is. And not necessarily, so, yeah, and I think that good HR people understand business, right? They understand. I mean, 
to the extent you need to understand science to be a really good uh, partner to the R&D organization or to the extent you understand kind of sales and marketing if you're an HR partner to sales and marketing. Those are really, that's mm -hmm. very important. Yeah, a lot of my guests have mentioned that to be so focused on the business and really understand it inside and out. Would you recommend to people that want to be in the HR function to work in other fields? You've worked in other functions. you worked in management consulting. Would you recommend that's a step if you want to go to the top of this function? Yes. You would? I would. I, but it depends, right? It depends on kind of where they are in their career. I don't, I don't think it's a necessity, yeah. but if that's an opportunity to somebody, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, thinking about, is this a great career? It's a, a tremendous career if a couple things, right? I often will have people say, well, I like people. Then you shouldn't be in HR. <laughs> uh, okay, there are certain people in the world who are you know, get really like they can't make a decision. They can't make a decision without you know every single piece of information, or they are, you know are very focused on how somebody going to feel. This is a hard profession to be in. That if you need every single piece of information because it's people, it's teams. You're never going to have every single piece of information. There's a lot of ambiguity and fuzz and gray. Uh, secondly, you know, if you are really worried about how people are going to feel, this is a tough job because you, you need to have tough discussions with mm -hmm. people at times. Decisions about people's so, status and employment, and those are hard. It is, to and do. it's very personal. So I think, you know, being able to be logical and analytical, uh, you know, caring and sensitive, and you need to be empathetic and understand who you're talking to, but not let it kind of take over your psyche. You can't paralyze your, your, yeah, your, your ability to act, right? Right. Who do you look to for thought leadership in anything? Leadership, management, HR? Well, I look in random places. So I don't, I, at a certain point, some years ago, I said I kind of want to read any more management books. Uh, because I don't know if I, I felt like they were saying the same thing or saying something slightly different. But So what I do is I, I like to read you know, history. I like to read science fiction. I like to read the newspaper. And so, and I have you know, tried to consciously say, okay, I'm going to read the newspaper. I'm going to read a different section. Or I'm going to start in a different place. That doesn't always work, but I find inspiration in things that are a bit random, you know, listening to the radio, listening to podcasts, all different kinds of things. But it's a, it, to me, it's about diversity in terms of what I'm going for rather than always going to the same place. Yeah, and I think the people that work in a creative space would always say that. Go somewhere else to get the new idea, right? Look where you might not expect it and then come back to that problem that yeah. you have. So that's great. Well, and I also love talking to kind of younger people who are just out of school or, you know, doing something completely different and understanding. I, you know, I asked some of my sons, they're all in software engineering, you know, his friends, okay, what's the most important benefit that you have at your offices? And the answer was iced coffee. <laughs> no, maybe it wasn't the benefit. Cold, the cold no, brew, I right. bet. Even it better. Was, it wasn't, no, it was, yeah, right. No, it wasn't benefit. It was the perk. The like, perk. What's the most important perk? No pun intended. Has there ever been a point in your career where you're like, oh, this is a total disaster? You thought it was just like the worst thing that ever happened to you, and it ended up being just something that really helped you in your career? Oh, absolutely. So when, but the thing that jumps into my mind was it was way back when I was a consultant and we were doing this big leadership development program for a client. And there were maybe three or four of us that were consultants that were, and we went off site into the Eastern Shore of Maryland and brought all these people together and. You know, we had developed a multiple-day leadership development program for them. And I was pretty early in my career. I was probably, you know, mid-20s or something. 
and was getting really creative about, you know, let's do this exercise. And I was creating exercises and things, and um, it didn't go well. The whole program did not go well. Mm-hmm. And there was particular feedback about me in terms of, you know, was I really ready to teach them about anything about leadership or even facilitate? And I remember one of the other consultants on that project with me convinced the client to let us do another session with other so people. So you were devastated probably after oh, getting that. I was completely that, devastated. That feedback, it was right, yeah. But the good news is that my colleagues gave me the feedback. The better news is that she was able to convince them, like, let us learn from this and try it again and do it again with different people. Mm. And we did. And we, you know, we learned and I listened and we learned and, you know, and everybody changed it up and we, we delivered it for another group of the executives and it was a smashing success. And, wow. they, and for years later, they were doing the same program. Uh, but that was tough. It was, you know, tough because we, we, you know, did not do well. Right. I got personal feedback that I contributed to that. <laughs> and, but again, come back and we're right. able to give it another shot. I bet you you lean on that experience when something doesn't go well for you. You know, as long as as you're progressing along your career, when something doesn't go right, you're like, oh, I remember that no, one that, that I right. flipped around. No, <laughs> yeah. those few moments when yeah. you realize, okay, that didn't go well, and yeah. then you kind of come back and say, okay, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to do right. something else, and okay, that worked well. Yeah. If you could give advice to your 30 year old self, you know, so it's you know going back in time, giving Ginger advice. What would you write if you could write a letter of advice to your 30 year old self? Well, probably is to calm down and be a bit more patient with my career but maybe you wouldn't have got where you were but I know I know that's that, hard <laughs> maybe because you're so impatient you're sitting here today but you would but still I, give that advice yeah yeah, yeah. why I think so um because you know there were I think that you know when I did stay at things maybe for longer you know, even on year three year four like okay wait I'm oh I'm even learning more now than okay. I thought I was yeah so it's that kind of learning curve when I thought maybe I was like, okay, I got this, I'm done with this, like, on to the next thing. Uh, then later, when I had longer time to work through things, you know, I really learned a lot more in that kind of three, four, five-year period. Name a book that's changed your life. Changed my life. Oh, Time Management for Dummies. Really? Yes, yes I read this way back in the day. I won't say when. Um <laughs> And it was, I still use this tech, the technique. Probably way back in the aughts. Yeah, yeah. in the aughts. <laughs> um, I still use the technique today. And it has to do with like how I keep notes and where my to-do list is. And yeah. Time management for dummies. Like uh-huh. the book, the, that same classic the yes, series yeah, of books. Yeah. I mean, for this was when book. I was an consultant. Time management and I, for dummies. I needed, you know, I had a small child, a husband, and yeah. I was traveling. And I don't Juggling know, I guess, I guess I felt like I needed... Better Time Management. I read the book, and it's, it, has, it has really helped me in terms of uh, that for decades now. What's the best uh, performance, play, musical, symphony show, sporting event you've ever attended? What comes to mind? The best show you've ever seen? Hmm. Well, there's probably some recency effect here. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I love Cirque du Soleil. Uh-huh. Yes, I've, I've seen been, one of those. Maybe I've been to three. Three of them, yeah. And every time, it is just it is incredible. Incredible, the level of creativity. I mean, the last one I went to it wasn't just the creativity of the costuming and the, you know, how they put events together, but it was also how they managed the crowd. I mean, I it's mind blowing. I love it. And I had my um, sort of adult, I guess they're adults, uh, children with me, mm-hmm. 
and they just were in awe, and I was in awe. Everybody was in awe. It's <laughs> incredible. Where did you see that show? Here in Boston. Okay, yeah, I've I seen one in Boston. Luz- Lucia or Lucia, something okay. like that. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Ginger, it's been so great having oh, you on the podcast. Thanks for being a guest. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.